That concert was longer than Lionel Richie concert. And God for the inimitable multifaceted blessing that is Reggie Yarbrough at 45th Street Baptist Church. Alabama's own Alabama School of Fine Arts own UAB alum. Yeah. All glory to God. Not to forget our own Felicia Brooks also. <laughs> Wesley, that's right. Yeah. And the little drummer boy. been faithful, thank God for it. Been faithful. Appreciate it. Every step of the way. Anybody besides me glad that he brought you this far? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and let me say this, in case you were wondering, um, if it had not been for God's grace, we wouldn't be here today. Yeah. There's nothing, nothing we've done that's earned us the right to be here today. Nothing that's earned us the right. We haven't been good enough. You couldn't buy your way here. You don't have connections enough to make it to this place or anywhere. Because he's so good and so gracious to us, he, he brought us all the way. And then, and then this morning, he woke us up in our right mind. Some of us decided that we were going to come and praise and, and worship his name. And I'm glad we all had the same thing on our mind when we came this morning. Because uh, I don't know, like me, I passed a lot of folk this morning. I don't know where they were going. I hope they were going to some location to praise his name and give him thanks. I hope they were. But I'm glad you met me here. It's a good place to be today. He showed me in his word some teaching that I'd like to share with you. We started last week on a sermon series that we're, we're calling uh, Knowing God, Knowing God. Just getting, getting to know 
who who he is, getting to know about him. And the simple fact is the only way we can get to know who God is is if he tells us, if he shows us. There's no other way to get around it. And yesterday, I mean, last Sunday, we learned the importance of knowing the names of God, knowing the name of God. He has many names. Each one of them reveals his character or an aspect of him. And it may be that in your walk, your maturity uh, in Christendom, you haven't met him in a certain way yet. Maybe you haven't needed him in that way yet. And that's okay. That's okay. There may be some aspects of God that you, you might not ever meet in this journey of life. But there are some people who've gotten to know him in a unique and special way. And it was because of the circumstances of their lives that they got to know him. And we can use their lives as examples and instruction for us. And then I want to lift up a couple of them for you today. We're going to go through over these next few weeks some of these names. And today I want to introduce you to um, how God revealed himself as El Shaddai. El Shaddai. Yeah. Foundational scripture for this message comes from Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. We first meet him as El Shaddai. El Shaddai. Let me see if I can lift this passage for you. Suffer with me as I read. Verse 1 reads, when Abram, Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Abraham, by translation, means father of many nations. But he initially introduces himself in verse 1. He starts out by saying, I am. God Almighty, or by translation, I am El Shaddai. El Shaddai. What does El Shaddai mean? First part of the name is a compound name. I remember that from school. Is a word for God, and it means mighty and powerful. El means mighty and powerful. There's an example given in Psalm 68 and 35. The psalmist writes, you are awesome, O God, El, in the original word translation. You are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. 
or by truth. You are awesome, El, in your sanctuary. The El of Israel gives power and strength to his people, the God of Israel. You have to understand at the time that this was written, time there were people who were pagans, didn't believe in a single God. They believed in a God for multiple situations, God of the sun, God of the moon, God of the gods of the seasons, all little G God. And God does something amazing. He re reveals himself as the one true and living. One true and living God. This would have been something that would have rocked them. All right, because he said he was the God for everything. Now, not only was he the God for everything, he was the God for every one. And as we grow to know him, and then we start understanding what that means. Now, there's a, there's a difference of opinion. We know L, L stands for mighty and powerful, but theologians and historians and linguists have struggled putting a specific definition on what Shaddai or Shad means, all right? Because it has multiple meanings. And from those multiple meanings, we come up with how we know him. Um, the word Shaddai is often translated as almighty because it can stand for a mighty mountain. But the word actually has a more tender definition. The root of the word, beginning of the word, shad, is connected with what we know of as a nurturing relationship between a mother and her infant child. And it signifies one who nourishes and satisfies. Let me see if I can make this just a little bit plainer for you. If you take an infant who is still nursing from his mother, and mama was to take that baby to a banquet, and they stood before that table full of food, it doesn't matter what's on the table. All of your choicest delicacies could be on that table. None of that food would be as nourishing or fulfilling to that baby as the milk that mama can give to you. And so what mama has for the baby is, watch this now, all sufficient for his needs. It doesn't matter that you get this other stuff. We get lost in that. I'm talking about the one who can give you the nourishment which satisfies you. And El Shaddai presents himself as that one. In other words, he is the God who is enough. All right, everybody say enough. All right, so when we put the words together, El Shaddai means one mighty to nourish and satisfy. Now, you're going to have to use your sanctified mind to put that in the context of your own life because what's satisfying and nourishing enough for me may not do the trick for you. But whatever it is, 
He can dial it up like a digital radio and he can say, whatever you need, God's got it. Whatever it is you have to have, God's got it. He is enough for your situation. I think I can probably make it a little bit more plain to you. God puts all of his provision into what you need. Why? Because he's all powerful. Yeah, we say he's omnipotent, which means he's all powerful. The ancient rabbis used to call him the all-sufficient one. All right, now this is distinguishing him from all these other little g-gods because God has everything he needs in himself. All right, it's inclusive in who he is. The early church came right out when they made the Apostles' Creed and they put this definition of God right out front when they did the Apostles' Creed. It reads this, I believe in God the Father Almighty. They didn't want anybody to be confused as to which God they were talking about. They were talking about El Shaddai as the God. And so there's some demonstrations of who El Shaddai is in Scripture. And I believe if I lift up these examples to you, you'll walk out of here with a better understanding of who he is and maybe how he works in your life. And I want to introduce to you three individuals who were in different places in their lives. And they met El Shaddai. Maybe you recognize some of them. Maybe you don't. The first one I've already mentioned in this scripture from Genesis. His name, when we meet him in this, in this uh, story, is Abram. Abram. But by the time God is finished with him, he has changed the nature of the course of his life. And Abram no longer fits him. God's had to rename him. And his na name now becomes a Abraham. He's got a new destiny because God put something new on him. And that's how you are sometimes. Maybe sometimes you've been riding along with a nickname long enough and God has changed your destiny and you ought to now be gone, known by a different name. That's why we got some folk around here who I won't refer to by their nicknames. All right, because God has a bigger destiny for them and the nickname does not hold the purpose that God has for their lives. Somebody here ought to know what I'm talking about and ought to shout. Yeah. Abraham, we find in this, in, this, in this scripture, was burdened. Oh, he was burdened. Yeah. See, the name, this name for God, El Shaddai, is used 48 times in the Old Testament. 48 times. And the first instance of El Shaddai coming is found right here in Genesis 17 and 1. When God introduces himself, it's as if he walks up. Abraham is standing on a rock. God comes up with one of them little name tags on. Say, hello, my name is El Shaddai. And that's how he introduces himself to Abraham. He says, Abraham wasn't a young man, so it wasn't easy to get something by him. It's the same Abraham who had been moving around because God had been telling him to. It's the same Abraham who had already been hearing the voice of God. Y'all need to follow me on this because you too may have been following the direction that God has in your life up until this point. But at a certain point, you might get to know him in a different way. And that different way may elevate the purpose he has in your life so that you can move on and do the things that he wants for you. Now, this, this man, Abraham, was 90 years old. And God had been talking to him since the time he told him to get up, get up and move. Take your family and move. And the Bible says that Abraham, Abram at the time, did it. Did it. Think about that now. Early one morning, you getting up, 
eating your cocoa puffs. You hear the voice of God come to you and he tells you, I need you to do something completely different than you're doing. And I don't need you to do it in this place. I need you to go to another location. To do it. How many of you are in tune enough to God's voice to know that it's him talking to you and not your cell phone that's still on? Uh, how, how many of y'all know it's not Siri that's talking to you? Hello, I hear you say you want to move. I mean, I think you need to be able to attune yourself to what God says. And the parent of Abram was attuned enough. God had already made several promises to him. And this, this is going to be hard for some of us. And even though he had made these promises to him, he promised him land, descendants, blessings that he wouldn't be able to uh, count. And Abraham had been waiting a long time for those blessings to come through. In fact, Abram had been waiting so long, y'all, that he had decided to take matters into his own hands. Yeah, because God's promises and God's uh, direction wasn't coming through clear enough for him. So he and his wife decided to get together and put a fix. They put a patch on what God was trying to do. And can I tell you, that patch never worked right never worked right, and it's still messed up to this very day. To this very day, the patch that was put in place between the Israelites and the Palestinians is still messed up. That's what it was. He messed it up. Can I tell you, God does not need your help. You do not know enough to put a Band-Aid on God's plan. Sit back and wait on him to do it because when he does it, it is absolutely complete. It doesn't need any alterations. It doesn't need any changes. It's what he designed for you. But this man, Abraham, had been waiting a long time. God came to him and told him exactly what he was going to do. And then after God comes to him and tells him, 13 years go by. It's a long time. How many of you, like me, think that this would have been a tremendous burden on Abraham? Abraham, knowing that he's going to do mighty and powerful things for the Lord, it's not like it's something you can sit down and talk to your friends about because they look at you like you're crazy. You know, the Lord say, he's going to do some big things through me. And they look at you and say, all right, my boy, keep waiting on that. And then a year passes, and they come back and next year, and they say, how about them big things, man? What God doing for you? Yeah, they start messing with you about it, and the burden increases. On it, but you know what God told you. And let me tell you today if God tells you it's going to happen, God can't lie. All right, He's not a man that He should lie. It's going to come to pass. But what you have to understand in the process of being His is that patience is a part of it. And patience takes on different dimensions. Abraham had given up all hope of having the future and the son that God had promised him. But it's that's the point. See, because it's at the very point of insufficiency that you meet this God. It's at the very point of you can't that he steps in and shows you he can. This is the El Shaddai that Abraham was introduced to. The fact of the matter is, if you can, why do you need him? 
Why do you need him if you, most of us don't even turn to him until we've exhausted every possibility that we have. When we feel utterly destitute is when we turn around and we say, Lord, help me. And can I tell you, he was ready before you came destitute. But he had to get you to a place of absolute frustration. Can't do it. Burdened before you realize and you can see him for what he is. Jeremiah said it this way. Jeremiah 32 and 17, he said, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the humans and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for him. God is able to do any more, I mean, to do much more than has ever been humanly possible. And this is the Abraham that we're introduced to. And I came to ask you today, you don't have to show your hands by raising it. You don't even have to raise your eyebrow, but I bet somebody in here is burdened today. Somebody in here has got something weighing on them. Have you been relying on your own efforts to deal with that circumstance? And are you like Abraham, looking for the direction that you need? Have you been struggling with patience? It's just not going fast enough. This is certainly something that's relevant in today's society. We don't have much patience. Oh, no, we don't have much patience. We want everything yesterday. Yeah, and patience becomes our greatest, our greatest ally if we can get it and our greatest enemy when we can't because things just don't happen quick enough. I mean, think about it. Who would have thought? that we would live in a time when I can order something Sunday and it's delivered to my house Monday. Who, who, who would have thought? And since things work like that, how about this? I'm ready to eat dinner at 4 o'clock, so I pick up the phone at 2 o'clock and I call the restaurant and I tell them what they want, and at 4 o'clock, somebody's putting my dinner in front of my house. We live in that kind of society. I didn't go to the grocery store. I didn't even go in my kitchen. Barely wanted to go in there to get something to drink, but my dinner is sitting in front of my house. That's the kind of society we live in now. We have those expectations about everything. I, I don't even need to tell you how that translates to the rest of life. I just got my degree. The degree is still dripping with ink on it. In fact, some of it, I don't even know the words on the degree, and yet somebody has been fortunate enough to give me a job, and I think I'm supposed to show up and be the boss on that job. Why? Because I got a degree. And the degree, the degree says uh, making of a boss. That, that's what the degree says. You're going to be a boss. Yeah, can I tell you? I've said this before and I'm going to say it to you again. A first, a second lieutenant in the army and a private in the army have the same degree of experience. They know nothing about being in the army. They simply entered the military through different doors, all right? One enlisted and one was commissioned, but they still have no experience in the Army, and they're going to take seasoned other people. The crazy thing about this, though, is the second lieutenant who knows nothing can boss the private all day long, even though neither of them know anything. And that's what happens when you give somebody education and position and no experience or patience problems come about. Patience is needed. El Shaddai, 
Abraham was instructed when he met El Shaddai, according to this Genesis verse, God told him, walk before me and be blameless. In other words, live your life and don't do wrong. And that's what, El that's what uh, Abraham set out to do. Can I tell you who, who Abraham made, met as God? He met the God who's the God at the end of your rope. All right? When you get to the end of your rope and you have nothing else, then that's the God you're going to meet. That's El Shaddai right there. He's the God at the end of your rope. Let me see if I can make it a little bit more plain. He's the God after them last two dollars. All right? When you have spent everything you got and still have obligations, he's the God that shows up then. But you got to get to the point of spending them last two dollars before you appreciate that kind of God. Abraham was burdened, but God showed up, and guess what? He fulfilled every single promise that he had made to Abraham. And you and I are the spiritual heritage of Abraham's promises being fulfilled. You might not know this, but you wouldn't be in the body of Christ right now, but for God fulfilling Abraham's promises. Yeah, we are the ones who are more numerous than the sands on the beach. We are the ones who are more numerous than the stars in the sky. We are Abraham's spiritual children. And God promised him that. So Abraham was burdened, but then there was a woman named Naomi who was bitter. Oh, she was bitter. Let me see if I can break this down. Naomi and her husband, um, Elimelech, left home. They had two sons. They went to a place called Moab because the place they were living in was struggling. But then they get to Moab and a famine hit the land. A famine means there's not enough resources there for anybody to live on. Not only does a famine hit the land, over the time that they are there, poor Naomi suffers the loss of her husband who brought her there. Limitless dies. To make matters worse, her sons decide they want to marry two local girls, Moabites. And so one marries a girl named Orpah, and the other marries a girl named Ruth. Orpah and Ruth. I often wonder if Oprah is a transliteration of Orpah from the Bible. I don't know. But Oprah is not in the Bible. Orpah is the name. All right. And they're Moabites. And Naomi, the widow, lives there with her sons and their wives. The tragedy strikes again because over the course of 10 years, both of her sons die. And so here's this woman who has been transplanted from her original home as an Israelite. She comes to Moab, loses her husband, loses both of her sons, and she and her two daughters-in-law are widows. What makes it worse for Naomi is that she is an alien resident. Y'all ought to know about that in today's yeah, she was not a resident of Moab, but her daughters-in-law were. And so what she does is, in her great compassion, she knows how difficult it is for a woman to live in the first place. And definitely widows had a hard time. Three widows, no husbands. She says to her young daughters-in-law, 
go back home to your family. Go back home to your families and perhaps from your family's house, you can get another husband. You're young enough. But as for me, I'm older now and I can't do it. Oprah says, I'm going to take you up on that mother in law. It's been real. I'm going to go back to my mom and dad's house and see what can happen. She left. But Ruth, Ruth becomes the story of legend. Ruth loves her mother in law. And Ruth says, Where you go, I'm going. And your people are going to be my people. And where you die, I'm going to die there and be buried there as well. This is the same Ruth that's in scripture. And so Ruth and Naomi set about to live together in this very difficult time. And Ruth says, we don't have much here in Moab, Ruth, but if we can make it back to my home, I think we might be all right. And so they set out on this very difficult journey and they go back home, Ruth leading the way. But it ain't the same Ruth. This is not the Ruth that left. So when she shows up in town, the people in the community say, is that Ruth? I mean, Naomi, is that Naomi? She don't look like the same Naomi that was the homecoming queen. No, no. She doesn't look like the same Naomi that was the majorette when she left. No, 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 no. This is a whole different Naomi. She don't look cheerleadery anymore. And the reason is life was all on her. Yeah, this is, this is the Naomi who left, who was on top of the world, but who left with her, her fine strapping husband, Elimelech. But that's not the one who came back. See, I should tell you this. Her name means pleasant, Naomi. But when she comes back, life has been anything but pleasant for her. And so she comes back and she looks weathered and she looks beat down. And so when she hears the neighbors in her community say, is that Naomi? She says to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara because life has been bitter to me. It's been bitter to me. And sometimes some folk go through life and instead of getting all the finest things, life seems to just dump problems all over them. And instead of being in a place of pleasantness, you find yourself in a place of bitterness. And this Naomi who started out with the same hopes and dreams and aspirations that anybody else has is now bitter. She's bitter. But in that bitterness, she still has the hope that God is able to do for her. If she did not, she would not have gotten her daughter-in-law and went back to a place where she could be blessed. If she didn't have hope, she wouldn't still be guiding her daughter-in-law. Watch this now. If she didn't have hope, her daughter-in-law would have never followed her. Because her daughter-in-law must have seen something about this woman that was still good enough for her to follow. And it was this hope and this goodness that allowed them to go back home and devise a plan that identified a distant relative who could redeem their fortunes. His name was Boaz. Yeah, yeah, not the one with the sinners down there, but this Boaz was the one who became their, watch this, know this from scripture, he became their kinsman redeemer. And he redeemed the property that Naomi and Elimelech had left when they went to Moab. And so she, he brought the fortunes back to the family. And the way he did it was by marrying Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth. That's how God binds things together. 
And because this woman was bitter, but she wasn't so bitter, she still didn't call on the name of the Lord. She was bitter enough, and that's what I'm trying to tell you, sometimes it's that taste in your mouth of how bad life can be that makes you scream out in despair. And her scream was, Lord, help. And the Lord who responded to her was El Shaddai. Yeah, and she found out that this God, this God, I got to know him in this way, is enough, is sufficient for us to be together. This is what these verses say. Four times in two verses, she attributes her affliction to him. She says, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. The Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. Too many times we don't understand that God is doing things in your life that may not feel good to you, may not taste good to you, but he's using it to work in your favor because he needs for you to depend on him in a different way. Not be dependent on Elimelech, not be dependent on your sons, not be dependent on the resources of this world. God wants us to depend on him and him alone. But she had to go through bitterness in order to meet him that way. I hate to tell you this. I hate to tell you this. But sometimes you got to go through the door called bitter in order to meet God and be better. Nobody wants to hear that. Yeah, nobody's going to willingly, if you go down the road and it says happy, fun, bitter, you're not going to go through the bitter door on your own. No, no. But God will make you go through that bitter door in order to get to a place of, of better. Yeah. Nobody's going through the door called empty. But it's through the empty door that you find fullness of relationship with him. And that's what, that's what she found. Some of you have had to face the same bewildering, heart-rending pain of not only losing a spouse, some of you have lost children. And it's through that door, as Donna McClurkin sings, that you got to know it in a better way. Not, 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 now you say, I could have done it without it. Not the same way. It's a different kind of relationship. And it's not any kind of relationship. It's not any experience you would visit on anybody else. But the relationship you have with the, have with the Lord right now can't be compared to the one you had with him before. You know it in a better way. And bitterness was the transport to get you there. So Abraham was burdened. Without a doubt, Naomi was bitter. The last man I want to tell you about was broken. This is what we find most of our friends these days. You know, not many of them will acknowledge the bitterness in their life. And they may not even acknowledge that they're full of burden. You know, I got this. Well, the truth of the matter is, you and I can look and we can see the obvious problems from people who are broken around us. Life has shown them that they're just not in the space that, that they could be. And this man I'm talking about, you heard about him because his life his life was put in scripture to play out as a theological play, if you would. His name is Job. Job started out living life 
righteously. In fact, he was so righteous that God could use him as an example. We had a member of this church uh, named Mamie Hankins. She lived in New, New Pilgrim Tower for a long time. And, and we used to love going to visit Ms. Hankins in New, New Pilgrim Tower. We'd go in there and uh, the apartment would be neat as a pin. I mean, you just, it, it, in fact, it, it was the model apartment. Whenever they had new people come to New Pilgrim Tower to explore and see whether or not they wanted to be residents, the managers of New Pilgrim Towers would take them to Ms. Hankins' apartment. That's how together it was. That's how she kept her life, and that's Job. Job's life was so good that God used him as the model. Now, I don't know about you. Everybody in here wants to be the showpiece for something, but can God use your life as his model? When God looks at somebody else and says, uh, uh, and they say, I think I want to follow you, Lord. Can you show me an example of somebody who's living righteously and follow you? Is it your name that God calls? Because Job was that man. How do I know it? Because God's chief enemy came to him and said to him, there's none who put under the right circumstances that will not turn their back on you. And God, without hesitation, said to the enemy whose name is Satan, the devil, he said to him, have you tried my servant, Job? Oh, what a resume builder right there. When your reference comes from God, you must be living right. And one day this man, Job, was living just like he had been doing right. God had blessed him with housing and family and good reputation. And then this discussion took place in the celestial realm that he didn't even know about. And the very next day, the man who had been living so righteously, the man who had been blessed with so much, had been given such a bounty, his life was turned upside down. Yeah, I'm going to tell you how good Job was. Job was so good that in his daily walk, he would just be walking, praying for his family. He would pray for his children, intercede for his children, just in case they were foul when they were having a good time. This is how good he was. His prayers were always before the Lord. You know the song you say, somebody pray for me. Yeah, Job's children knew that for certain. My dad is praying for me in case when I'm over here celebrating and having a good time, I forget to say thank you to the Lord. My dad is interceding for me. And that was registering in heaven. and God knew that. But the next day, all those children were dead. The next day, all of his cattle, gone. All the riches that he had, gone. The same Job who was blessed is now broken. The question is, how do you respond in those times of brokenness? Play comes back again, and God and the devil are talking because Job didn't respond the way the devil thought he would. Job simply gave the testimony the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. How do you get to a place in life where everything you work for gets taken from you, and you still have the testimony? 
that God blessed me one time. I got faith enough to believe he's going to bless me again. How do you get to that place? Can I tell you? That ain't no waking up faith. That's a walking faith. You got to have that. You got to walk it out every day. And I know folk walk around here all the time and we say those words, but you got to live those words. You live those words with your belly full and your clothes clean and your house doing well. What about on the day when you have none of that? Is that still your testimony? And I can tell you right now, it was Job's testimony. And so the devil comes in and ratchets it a little bit more. He said, ah, oh, he's just saying that because you won't let me do anything to him physically. God said, I tell you what, you can do anything you want to his body, but you can't kill him. The devil runs out gleeful because he thinks I've got him now. And see, he comes out and he starts afflicting. Anybody know anything about affliction? He starts afflicting Job with all manner of physical problems, all kind of health problems. I mean, the kind of stuff his balls had balls on him. I mean, he was doing so bad. He was horrible in his place. Got so bad that his wife couldn't even stand being around him and she told him, she told him, Job, I love you and everything, but why don't you just cuss God and go and die? This is why. Job would do it. But even a man named Job has his limits. Even a man who's living righteously like Job was gets to a place where he just is not as certain as he used to be. And so Job, in his evaluation, Job, in his brokenness, Job, in his, in his emptiness, starts to ask God questions and wonder, why am I in this situation? It didn't help that God, Job, realized, see, the time to realize you don't have good friends is before you have big problems. Because when you got big problems and your friends show up and they don't help you, but they're hurting you, they come and they say to him, Job, you must have done something wrong. Yeah, I knew something was going on. I told you he wasn't paying his taxes like he was supposed to. Job wasn't doing right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Job, Job was doing ABC wrong when none of that was the case. Job finds himself letting them folk get in his head. And he starts asking the question after his friends let him down, after his family let him down, the one that was left. And Job said to the ground, he said, Lord, what is it that I've done that puts me in this space? I'm paraphrasing. But Job said all of this without charging God with wrongdoing. He, he just didn't understand the position he found himself in. But the questions came so rapidly that God had to answer in a fashion that made Job understand that what he was doing might not have been in any way seemingly to be good, seemingly good for him, but it was going to be a blessing to him in the end. We can't see that when we're broken. People who love us come to us and they tell us things and they may be giving us the best godly advice they can give, give us. But when you're broken, it's hard to see those things. So I don't want you to miss the significance of the name El Shaddai. Because it's used more in the book of Job than in any other book in the Old Testament. Yeah. Why? Because when we are most empty, that's when this God shows up. That's when this part of his character comes to us. 
uh, a woman named Maud Roden said it this way. When you have nothing left but God, then you become aware that God is enough. When you have nothing left, Job desperately wants to hear from God. And so in 31 and 35, he makes this statement. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. And God's answer to Job is the longest response in Scripture. Chapters 38 through 41 of the book of Job is God answering Job. But let me see if I can give it to you real quick and summarize. God says to Job, you were like this, where were you? Where were you when I hung the moon and the heaven? Where were you? Can you tell me when I put the stars in the sky? Yeah. Is it you who gives the horse strength or who puts the mane on his neck? Where were you when all of this took place? And God said to him, will the one who contends with the Almighty straighten him out? In other words, Job, is there anything you can do that's going to correct what I've done? And if you don't have the answer to those questions, then you don't stand in place to question me about anything. And this is what Job needed to hear. Because Job, just like all of us, had gotten to a place where he was trying to condemn God to justify himself. I must not have done anything wrong. It had to be God. And I came to tell you that just because your life ain't going right doesn't mean that God has done anything wrong. And it certainly doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. But I guarantee you after this, Job got to know God in a much better way. And he realized that sometimes, sometimes that God does these things to get our attention and draw us closer to him. This is what Job said. He said, surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. In other words, I knew there was a God out there like you. I just had never met him before. And now, God, I've gotten to know you. Ultimately, the only answer, this is going to sound arrogant from God's standpoint. Ultimately, the only answer that God gave Job about what was going on was he said, I'm God. That's it. I don't owe you no explanation. I don't have to give you no explanation about what's going on. I am God and I stand in solitude to myself and there's not a creature on this earth that I have to stand up and explain myself to. That's who God is. We always look for easy, pat answers to everything. But can I tell you, God has a holy way of saying because I said so. Yeah, some of us as parents are afraid to say that to our children. But how many of y'all, like me, know that because I said so is an appropriate answer sometimes? And who among you 
when you, my child, can question what I do in my house. Well, if you can say that, then you know that God can say it as well. I'm God. And I don't have to explain myself to anybody. The main point of the book of Job is this. You're not going to like it. That life is unfair. And bad things do happen. That's the main point of this book. It doesn't mean you've been awful. It just means life ain't fair. And bad things absolutely happen. The one great biblical purpose for trials is to draw you closer to God. That's the purpose of it. And so how do we respond when life gives us burdens? How do we respond when we find ourselves living life and we are bitter? How do we respond when we wake up one morning and our life presents itself as broken? The first thing we do is exactly what Abraham did. You see, it's right there in Scripture. Genesis 17 and 3 shows you the proper response that Abraham gave to God. When the Lord told Abraham to walk before me blameless, Abraham's response in Genesis 13, 17 and 3 was what you and I have to do. We got to fall before the Lord in reverence. The Bible said he fell down in reverence. In other words, he fell down praising the Lord, saying, whatever you say for me to do, Lord. That's the response we have when, when, when we find ourselves in this situation. Ezekiel put it plain, more plainly. He said, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. In other words, speak to me, Lord, for your servant. Listen. What else do we do? We need to learn how to run to the Lord as our refuge. Seek your shelter in his presence. El Shaddai is powerful, but guess what? As powerful as God is, he's also our protector. We always seek our solace in lesser protections than God can afford us. Psalm 91 and 1 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow, the shadow of the Almighty. There's more protection in God's shadow than you'll find anywhere else on the earth. The idea is that take up lodging under the wings of the Lord. Y'all don't hear me on this. I'm going to make it plain for you. Some of y'all are going to be upset. Don't just dip in and dip out. Don't just come to the Lord when trouble is around. When life is good, live with him. All right? Every day, take up residence under his, under his wings so he can protect you at all times. Some of us just want to run home when it's raining. I came to tell you, home is always good. Might feel crowded on the lifestyle you want to live sometime, but it's home. Learn how to stay at home. So fall before him in reverence. Run to him as your refuge. And last but not least, trust in the Lord as the one who's going to reward you. Yeah, your reward is going to come from him. Time is coming when all the wrong things are going to be made right. Oh, yeah, that's not, that's, that's not a supposition. That's a promise from Scripture. God's going to make everything all right. The second highest number of times that the name Almighty is used is in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, God comes back and he doubles down on the promises that he's made all through Scripture. Hear me now. This is just one example of what God's going to do in Revelation. He says, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword which shall strike down all the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. 
he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. God is going to make everything all right. He's going to bless us. Larry Crabb tells us, a writer named Larry Crabb tells us that the book of Revelation, watch this, and this is so important today. I want you to take this with you. He tells us in his theory that God gives us the revelation to help us keep believing in Jesus when the evidence makes it difficult to do so. When you look around and you see all that's going on in the world, there's some people who find it real difficult to keep on believing that God is in charge. And I came to tell you, he still is. He's still sufficient. He's still enough. He's still almighty and he's still providing. And if these circumstances in life aren't enough to make you run to him, I can tell you it can get much worse than it is right now. He's allowing permissively these things to happen because he wants you to turn to him. When you live with unbearable pain, start calling on El Shaddai. He's your everything. When you're all alone and you feel empty, Call on El Shaddai. And he'll be your company keeper, as the old folks used to say it. When you're hungry, you don't have all you need, El Shaddai brings all the sufficiency to you. Sometimes he allows good dreams, the dreams you have for your life, to shatter because there's a better dream that's going to come. But you can't get there until you go through that problem. That's some of us who had dreams for our lives. We worked toward those dreams, and God allowed us to do so. And just when we were about to realize the dream that we had laid for ourselves, it exploded. And then God brought us to what he wanted us to do and made it much, much better. I can testify to that, that my life is so much better than the dream I had for myself. In fact, the truth of the matter is, I didn't even know how to dream based on how God has blessed me. And yet he's been so righteous and so fulfilling in my life. And I just thank him. Does that mean I haven't had brokenness? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean I haven't had bitterness? No, it doesn't mean that. Because God has allowed these things to visit me as well. But he's also drawn me close, nearer. Nearer to him through those experiences. And so... I want to remind you today that anything that God has ever done, he can do it right now. Anything that God has ever done anywhere, he can do it right here for you, right now. He can do it here. Anybody that God has ever blessed, he can bring that same blessing to you if he wants to. He's not stopped giving you all the goodness that he is. Little boy was playing one day. He got really frustrated because he wasn't able to accomplish what he intended to accomplish. You've seen children get frustrated and they try and they try again. That's how God watches us in our lives. And they tried and they tried and he kept on trying to put the toy together. Kept on trying to put it together, but he just wasn't able to. The Bible said that his father was standing back watching him. And after a while, the boy just finally gave up in frustration. And he started crying. And his daddy came in to console him. And he said, son, what's wrong? He said, 
daddy. I did everything I could to fix him. And I can't fix him. And his daddy looked at him and he said, David, you didn't do everything you could because you could have called me and I would have helped you. Some of us are living life like that. We've done everything we know to do. We just have not called on the Lord. And he's waiting. He's watching. He's paying attention. But as long as you keep trying, he's going to let you keep doing it. How about this? Try him. Call him into the situation. Allow him to come in and bless you. And I guarantee you, he is enough. He was enough when he decided that we couldn't save ourselves. He was enough when he decided we needed a help on how to get back into relationship with him. He realized that there was no law we could keep that would make us live right, not in and of our broken nature. And so he sent us a rescue. We couldn't have paid him for it. Just so happened that the rescue he sent us was his only begotten son, Jesus. Go down there and help him out. Show him how to live right. Show him how to do right. Show him how to be right. Oh, by the way, Jesus, they're not going to appreciate you. They're going to kill you. Jesus said, that's all right, Dad. I'll go anyway. And he did. He came down here, and just as his father knew and said, he came and he lived with us for 33 odd years. And then we got frustrated because he was too pure. We couldn't fathom somebody living so righteously among us and so evil men killed. But God was so pleased at the effort that Jesus Christ made in coming to rescue us that after death, after Jesus went through the door called death, God reached into his grave and resurrected. And now he lives. And then he promised us that if we simply follow the directions that Jesus gave us and we live like him, then we too can live eternally with him. So my question to you is, have you tried Jesus and accepted his gift of salvation? Do you know him in that way? If you've never met him in that way and today you found out that he died for you and lives for you, then today is the opportunity to accept the invitation of eternal life. Leaders of our church have all made that decision. And now they're coming at a, as a host committee, a welcoming committee, just for you. While the musicians sing this song of welcome, I'm inviting you as an ambassador to become a part of our fellowship. Doors of our church are wide open. Whosoever will, let them come right now. I'll baptize you if you've never publicly admitted it. And if you have, then I'll welcome you. This is a member of our fellowship. Whosoever will, let them come right now. He's enough. He is enough. The all-sufficient God.